Yeah. That's what we call people who don't play video games. Limited, Limited. people. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rutherman. I'm JJR Timez. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about what remains of Edith Finch, which was developed by Giant Sparrow and was released on Microsoft Windows, the PlayStation 4, and Xbox One in 2017. What Remains of Edith Finch is a walking simulator, uh, because I think we've just embraced the term at this point. Yeah. Uh, where they sort of attempt to inject all of these uh, like other game-y elements into it. It's pretty uncommon that it's like something that requires any level of like dexterity but it does they, they do want to sort of make an effort to make the game a little more video gamey than the majority of walking simulators see i kind of think the exact opposite <laughs> <laughs> i feel like a lot of walking simulators feel the need to gamify the game by putting in like puzzles and or like some kind of weird first-person platformy section. Or maybe it's just that we've played a bunch of weird ones, uh, the two of us. But this largely relies on, like, interactive set pieces that you can't really lose. Right. Or they, and they don't, like, pr- like, hold you up from progressing through the narrative. They're all kind of, like, in service of the story. And I think that's part of what makes it such a good walking simulator. So, I, like, what you've given me just now are all objective facts. And so, I, <laughs> like, I don't disagree with you. That would be a, a misstep on my on my part to, to, to claim that I do. But I, I think what the angle that I'm looking at this as is, like, how you look at JRPGs, where a JRPG is assumed to have this like baseline mechanic and then games build up on it in different ways. I think that the baseline walking simulator is something like the graveyard or um, what's the one on the coast? Dear Esther. Esther. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Where the entirety of your interaction is just moving from point A to point B and then the credits roll. Whereas walking, modern walking simulators as well as like, some of the like earliest games that would maybe be classified as it today but weren't at the time because it just didn't exist uh take the baseline go to point from point a to point b and then they put things on top of it and i feel like this game because it compartmentalizes everything that's sort of where i was getting at because i know i want to imply this game has like mini games in it because that's kind of it has one mini game and that is all it has vignettes it's a game that attempts to use uh different types of mechanical interaction to evoke the specific types of feeling in each of the scenes of the game. And as you said, the scenes are very distinct. So you can move through these kind of freeform psychedelic scenes and instead progress to something a a little bit more intended to be restrictive and make yourself feel like you're in the same kind of oppressive situations as the characters. Uh, Probably my favorite out of all of them might be the whimsical baby mm-hmm. jumping. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what you call it. Baby jumping is the closest I can really get, even though it's technically not the baby that is jumping. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting. I, I really like that early observation because it suggests 
that like other genres, walking simulators have to fight for to differentiate themselves mechanically, which is kind of a weird thing that you wouldn't necessarily think walking simulators would feel pressured to do. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, like, I, I guess, you know, in the end, we're all still game developers and we all still have cute little 3D tricks that you want to incorporate. Yep. And I also think they're largely, um, if not all, made by indie studios and I feel like there's probably a lack of confidence where yeah, they feel like Final Fantasy Thirteen. <laughs> ha! Zing! Got him! Got him! <laughs> um, with the exception of Final Fantasy Thirteen, uh, they're basically all made by indie studios who probably feel like they need to add in more substantial gameplay, like they're insecure mm-hmm. about the quality of their game, where you just walk. Wait, did, did I? I'm sorry. Huge pause. Did I miss the like 2010, if not earlier, era meme that was Final Fantasy 13 is a walking simulator? Yeah. Well, well yeah, people have referred to it as Final Hallway 13 because all you do is walk forward and fight enemies. I knew. Th- I knew about that. But the further step of making it a walking simulator is so perfect that I'm sad that I missed that cultural moment by like a literal decade. Yeah, our, our comedy is edgy and. On the borders, on the fringes of human consciousness, <laughs> eventually they will look back on us as prophets of the future. Edgy, as in on the edge of human consciousness. Yeah. No, edgy is in on the edge of humor. Oh, <laughs> Almost okay. humor. So many edges. I know. Anyway, we are the barest edge of memory. We are the barest edge of comedy. Uh. So yes, I, I agree with that, and I agree especially with the idea of that being seen as uh, like the different compartmentalized sections of this game being seen as vignettes because their primary function is to shift tone, and if not tone, just like perspective, so that you're not uh, taking the story in entirely from one frame of reference. And I think they're largely successful at that. I think that this is a really interesting and good way to it's definitely not the first game that has done like multiple we just talked about eternal darkness which does functionally the same thing Mm -hmm. but obviously their goals are incredibly different oh yeah eternal darkness was trying to force multiple diverse perspectives on the same linear narrative over Mm -hmm. a huge time scale this is not really that game I, i mean one of the most confusing things about this game to me is how in a lot of ways, it kind of doesn't have like an obvious narrative through line or like point. I say that with like with huge air quotes on the side because when I say point, I don't mean like oh it's a walking simulator. What do you do? What's even the point? I mean like it doesn't even seem to have like a strong central narrative thrust unless I'm a, a stupid baby person. You're not. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Chad. <laughs> but this is kind of... Uh, this was the overarching thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into, like, the meat of the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Like, the concept of this game is a, just a concept of human suffering and despair. <laughs> <laughs> which obviously means that I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it mirrors the sort of, like... Uh, Suffering and despair that you feel? Like the kind of movies and shit that I like, where (laughs) it's like, there's no happy ending here. Like, it's just everyone dies, and then at the end it's revealed that also you died. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I want to put a a caution you here, Uh because people are going to hear this, 
uh, and think that what there are movies that you're referring to that you're into are like French high cinema about the fruitlessness of man, when in actuality it's both that and <laughs> like terrible horror movies in which people are ripped apart indiscriminately. Well, I, f- I feel like that's not true at all. <laughs> Uh, this is nothing in tone like those kinds of no, movies. No, it's it super isn't, but it is the messy because it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same tone. Uh, well, I think that your characterization of things that I like is pretty good, <laughs> all things considered. Even most horror movies have like an uplifting ending, or at least somebody gets away at the end. Yeah, but yeah, the the as you pre- the previously mentioned French auteur <laughs> film. Uh, is the thing more that I'm talking about where it's something that, whereas that game focuses more on the despair and the, like, inevitability of death, this thing focuses more on on life, right? Like, it has an uplifting message, even if everything that's presented to you is misery. Yeah. It it feels like more of, like, a personal story because it's about one family as well Mm -hmm. and not, like... (laughs) <laughs> mankind's doomed or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that these that this game has the same tone of these kind of like oppressive defeatist works. It has the same topic. Mm-hmm. It's still talking about how life deeply sucks in horrible ways, <laughs> but it has a different takeaway and a different approach to that. That can often just be straight up whimsical at times. Right. It really wants you to revel in the uselessness of your every moment. <laughs> Uh, which sounds insufferable right like that's a as a description i can understand why people might listening to this hear about this game and be like oh my god it's got its head so far up its own ass it's got to (laughs) be blinking organs or whatever when you blink at something is it blinking it whatever i'll clarify this later but that seems like the right term indeed uh but i think this game it's shockingly not heavy-handed in those themes. It is a very down-to-earth experience, uh, even for what it, what you might consider dream sequences or the more fantastical elements of it. It is always centrally grounded in the house and in like what's supposed to be like a very realistic lived experience of this one crazy abnormal family. Right. Um, which it lends it a kind of gravitas and a kind of relatability that is often missing from things that try and take this kind of like high hoity-toity kind of tone to soft emotional issues. Yeah, I think it's because it's like a multi-layered approach uh, that's all set up very well. It's the the great-grandmother of the family um, is like a very imaginative like artist type um and every time there's like a tragedy in the family she does everything in her power to like create like a folk tale essentially about the death of the person and kind of immortalize them right and create this little story around it and it's they're presented through that lens but it's always you're always aware of the duality of it like the real situation and the embellishment on top of it which i think makes it work really well absolutely like that embellishment is probably the closest thing when i was trying to you know work around in my own head like what's the point of this game is how subtly they and how much respect they must have for the player in order to let you slowly realize that a lot of these vignettes that you're seeing are mostly like 
story is played up by one particular perspective and one member of the family and let you come to the understanding of the kind of devastating effects that that kind of has on each successive generation. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's more than unique. That's like profound and interesting and many other words that I don't normally use to describe game narratives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is one of those things where when you come to a walking simulator, uh, just like off the bat, you expect it to be something that is more narratively focused. Whereas this game is narratively focused, but it's it's a it's a really emotional narrative, and to the point where most of the things that happen in the game are not physically real, like not actually occurring. They are emotional retellings of things that have already happened, um, with a few exceptions, but for the most part, uh, yeah, it's 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 all told in this like pulled back sort of way, where you're getting the and it and it tells you as you go through it who is the person that's being affected by this. And in some cases, it's pretty distant where it's like the psychiatrist uh, telling Lewis's story or like a child's father telling the story of the death of their infant son through the like scrawling on the back of divorce papers. Like it's uh, it's really diverse in the way that it, it goes about telling its stories. And therefore, in order to like stay true to that, they also are very diverse in the way that they present them and the way that you play through them. Yeah, and it also um, does a lot of that, I don't know if I want to call it like new wave for video (laughs) games, but like that really heavy environmental storytelling where a lot of details uh, can be gleaned from like observing the house and reading things and looking for little details that aren't directly told to you, which is really popular these days (laughs) yeah and it helped in no small part by the fact that the vo in this game is actually just really good Mm -hmm. uh and this is something we haven't actually talked about in a long time because vo is historically not that great uh (laughs) but uh the actress that plays edith does a really good job of of sort of like explaining things in a way that actually feels natural they have this framing device where she's writing a journal um for her unborn son, son ends up being yeah, son. yeah, to read uh, whenever they're born, and it's like, it, it it puts it in a way like into the game in a way that makes it make a lot more sense than it would in most, and I just have a lot of respect for the way that this whole thing was built from the ground up, and so let's actually get into the game then. <sighs> oh. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Can't we just continue talking about insufferable narrative, high-minded concepts? Well, we could, but the game clearly doesn't want that to be its focus. And the reason I say that is because the you you mentioned it before, and I, I was going to interject, but we had some other shit to say <laughs> before that. But uh, the game had like it is a lofty goal that this game sets for itself telling this emotional story of somebody like basically reliving the deaths of their entire extended family Mm -hmm. uh in one evening and uh so the game gives you very little when it comes to this like foreshadowing uh before you actually get into it so your first 
thing that you do in the game is just approach the house. And you get more of like a fantasy vibe off of it than anything else. Mm-hmm. I wanted to specifically just sidebar talk about the house a little bit. Yeah. Because the house reminds me of like like a like something out of a cartoon. Like it made me think of like Cat Dog's house. <laughs> Or, like, Arnold's room, or, like, those, or, like, Spongebob's house. Like, those weird, like, fictional houses you wished you could live in as a kid. Right. But all the kids that grew up in this house got to experience that for real, Mm -hmm. which I just think is a neat visual. I I think in the design notes they specifically mentioned Cat Cat Dog's house (laughs) as a key source of inspiration. Yeah, like, um, what's the... The one with the psychiatrist the that you mentioned just moments ago. Oh, Lewis? Yeah, Lewis. His room especially is like a boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is like on top of the house mm-hmm. that has been like turned into a room. Like that's super cool. Yeah. It's yeah. very adventure timey. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's another good one. Yeah. yeah. Another good house to add yes. to the list. <laughs> Classic cartoon house. Makeshift yeah. house. That's what, it's one of those things like... Uh, where when playing the game you're like this would be fucking actually sick to like go in and explore this house mm-hmm. until you get to the part where you have to like crawl on the roof to get into <laughs> some rooms i'm like i don't know if i want to live here anymore yeah like, i don't know how many ladders i want to take to go to bed every night like it seems like a lot uh i was secretly really hoping that one of the death sequences would just be someone screwing up trying to get to their room in the house. <laughs> it's like, it was, there was, the wind was blowing mighty hard that day, and Bob just took a tumble right yeah, off yeah. the porch. Maybe we shouldn't have our children walk up sloped surfaces outside four stories up. They had an infant in a uh, in an annex that, that, in order to access it, you have to get on the roof and climb a ladder to a porch and then crawl through a cubbyhole. <laughs> to get to like that's insanity <laughs> well when they were living in them the rooms weren't sealed so you could just walk out the door them from the house i did kind of forget about that but then all, but all the all ones up on top exists. all of don's kids mm-hmm. had to climb up on the roof yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's no way around it yeah they had school up there even but anyway, oh yeah, back so maybe to... they didn't have to go downstairs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that being said, I never saw a bathroom anywhere over the, on the first floor. So, <laughs> well, at, at those kind of heights, the wind just kind of is able to pick it up enough that it just carries it out to yeah, sea. Yeah, just piss off the roof. Yeah. yeah, no, that's all. Okay, we're not going to talk about the <laughs> physics of shitting from the top of a house. <laughs> I'm just going to raise the point that it is clearly an issue. <laughs> right. All right, but. Sidebar over. Oh, yeah. Back to what you were originally saying. Well, that was actually a large part of what it was that I was going to get into. Shitting from a house. (laughs) (laughs) What was the appearance of the house and, like, looking at it from from a distance. But I think we've covered everything that that implies uh, right off from from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But the first proper, like, narrative beat in the game is when you get into Molly's room. So uh, Molly, uh, if you were not aware, which I'm sure you are, uh, <laughs> is the one that like is the sequence of you becoming different, hungrier creatures every every moment, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they do not start with something that most people are going to go like, oh, it's just normal. <laughs> 
No, I think it's a strong opening, though. It's yeah. really strong. Because um, it even, like, kind of works as a microcosm of the rest of the game, where, like, it keeps changing. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's... And it's it's a lot like when we talked about in the Shadow of the Colossus episode, where, like, I feel like you could arrange the battles in, like, a million different ways. So you have to kind of, like, plan these vignettes out in a certain way so that they have, like, a nice flow to them. Right. And I thought this was a really good starting point. Yeah. Molly's story both established how fantastical the narrative was willing to get. Luckily, early at a time when you don't know enough about the game to immediately know whether what you're seeing is, like, real or not real. Like, right after Molly's story... I, it was generally unclear to me whether the monster was a thing that existed. Right. I thought, like, oh, maybe the family curse is, like, a kraken that's just, like, <laughs> after their family. Yeah, you don't know how supernatural it might get at yeah. that point. Yeah. In her room, there's literally, like, a, a kraken drawing, like, attacking mm-hmm. the house as they came over the sea. So I was like, oh, man, I'm going to end of this game. I'm going to have to, like, parlay with this kraken get <laughs> <laughs> this family all sorted out. Uh, but no, it was not. It was actually just a really clever narrative embellishment of the effects of hallucinating horribly after eating a lot of non-edible poisonous things. Yeah. Uh, which I realized later after other things ended up being narrative embellishments of other things. And I was like, oh, it's actually really cool and smart that they picked that one. Yeah. I, I actually kind of have to... I have to wonder where, like, at what point the... or how much of Molly's story is legitimately a literal thing that happened because I can totally see like a hungry little girl eating some gerbil food (laughs) and I can see a hungry little girl eating uh, holly berries off of a plant. This is all fine. Mm -hmm. No one, no fucking person in their right mind would begin to eat a tube of toothpaste (laughs) and then continue. I I feel like that's like a thing. Um, it's a thing, Chad. You, I've got this news is a thing. This is a thing. I, I know that it's. Um, How has the human race not died off yet? <laughs> it's a thing that, like, I don't know exactly how to phrase this at all, <laughs> but I was just made aware of it um, in South Park. There's that episode where Cartman is pretending to be a robot for Butters, um, and so he doesn't eat anything because he's trying to maintain the illusion for butters and when he gets the chance he like runs into the bathroom and like eats a tube of toothpaste like i think it's a thing where if you're in dire straits (laughs) you can survive by eating toothpaste i don't know where that comes from oh so you think (laughs) i thought it was like a weird internet thing that would get a TLC episode of some kind of television show. Right. See, you thought... That, that could also uh, be true. You yeah. thought that it was just like a Bear Grylls crazy urban survival tactic? When That's the what I'm saying, comes? yes. Okay. I don't know. See, I, like, <laughs> the one way that I can, like, actually put... <laughs> like, can rationalize this is that there is, like, an incredibly rare disease or mental illness. I'm not actually even sure what ends of the human body this affects uh where you will just eat anything it's like the everyone who has that show uh, or on that show where they my just strange eat addiction yeah mm-hmm. or i'm addicted to eating to rocks or whatever yeah like fuck. that woman who just walked around and, and ate change all day yeah god damn and like the guy who like it's ate weird. a bicycle famously and yeah. that french dude who ate like snakes and shit mm-hmm. like all of this is like that's a documented. Well, uh, there thing. was Whoa. one where someone was addicted to eating glass, <laughs> and oh my god, did it make me want to just kill myself? Hold the phone. <laughs> yeah, 
I would like I'd forward eating snakes nowhere near as weird as any of these things we have this, just mentioned. That's actually a good point. If I could remember the guy's name, I'll like throw a link in the. Are we talking live snakes? This dude, I just mentioned the snake thing because I remember <laughs> it like being particularly interesting to uh-huh, me. Yeah. He ate everything, and he ate pounds and pounds of everything. <laughs> like he ate like constantly and was never not hungry and he died at a young age uh but this is like back in in the in the before times mm-hmm. in the long long ago mm-hmm. and, i'm just picturing uh, a man now just eating a snake in the same way that you eat one of those disgusting huge like giant gummy worms <laughs> I just, I just yeah. pull it oh man that's Horrible. Yeah. Can we talk about the video game? This is terrible. But anyway, uh, I think what actually uh, is the truth of Molly's story is that uh, the mistletoe in the bathroom that she eats, uh, mistletoe is poisonous. So yeah. yeah, so she was poisoned and died. Yeah, that's that is what it is, and uh, like the rest of it is just either her imagination or an actual hallucination, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, it's a powerful opener, and it has the hardest achievement to get in the game, where you have to catch two rabbits in two swoops. <laughs> However, I guess fucking Andy is just a god of video games. Swish. Swish. Uh, oh, God. This next one I've definitely written the wrong name down on, mm-hmm. so my plan is already falling apart. <laughs> uh but between Molly and the next guy... Oh, oh you're just going to slide over it. Okay. Yeah, who is not Sam. Sam is his brother, who's the one who grows up to... He's the one with like all of the military shit in his room. <laughs> uh, but the other kid uh, is the one on the swing. In between those two rooms is when you sort of get introduced to what is like the primary like exploration part of this game, where you have to go through the house and find these like hidden passages that are just all over the place and uh in this particular one is like a bookshelf that you move a thing and the fucking wall opens up and then you're like oh dang let's get out of here yeah that's another thing about the house that's very cool is that it has secret passageways like i would have fucking loved to have grown up in a house with secret passageways that would be so sweet yeah the the like Closest, oh, because this is something I was going to mention before mm-hmm. and just totally forgot. Mm-hmm. The closest real life example that I can come up with to a house like this is uh, the Winchester Mansion. I can't believe we didn't bring it up yet. Right? Where this woman uh, thought that the guns that her husband made, all of the ghosts that were, you know, killed by the guns <laughs> were chasing after her. So she just kept building extensions onto her house that were just like crazy stairways to nowhere and shit. Uh, but that, even that did not have secret passageways. It just had nonsense passageways. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this woman thought that the ghosts, like she the had a people night- killed by the guns who her husband made. No, no, I, I get the like, the like the irony that mm-hmm. she perceived happening in her death. My question is her stance on ghost physics, 
because she mm. seems to presuppose that the ghosts like physically travel down hallways like people. And not only that, but they're slow enough at it that they would get lost and not be able to find. <laughs> yeah, her. yeah, that she could build a house. Maybe she was thinking that they would haunt the house that existed when they were like as it was when oh. they were killed. Oh, so shit. she built new rooms. They wouldn't haunt those ones. <laughs> yeah, it's like a technicality. <laughs> yes, yeah. she fe- she read the ghost contract. <laughs> This is the uh, the crazy tangents episode of the No Clip Podcast. Uh, We're not experts on anything that we've just <laughs> talked about. Uh, the brother's name is Calvin. Calvin. Okay, so Calvin is the is the kid whose room you enter, and it's the one that's sort of cordoned off, like they, it's split in half, uh, and. One of the more like fucked up lines I remember reading in the in the game is just like Sam shared a room with his dead brother for twelve years. I'm like, that sucks, like <laughs> real bad. If you just like had to sleep in half a room while the other half of the room is just like dedicated to your brother who is now dead. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to even think about that line for a second. I was like. Did someone just not proofread that? Like, he, li- <laughs> he lived with his dead brother for 12 years. But yeah, obviously they meant it. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, was the brother the with... Room was kept... That had, like, the really stupid death, right? That was the brother that just, like, fell off a swig like a dumbass. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't blame... I mean, I blame him a little bit, but he was also a child. I believe he's the only one who literally killed themselves in the most literal way possible. True, but you also have to point the blame at whoever built a swing on the edge of a goddamn cliff. <laughs> like, that's the yeah. most irresponsible thing. It's not even, like, one of those, and- like, swings that has, like, the leg holes in it. <laughs> It's just like straight up a wooden plank. It's basically an invitation to kill yourself by jumping off the swing and flying off the cliff. Right. Because like in the fences even looks like it's been hit before. Like a kid, it's like kind of like bent out and looks like something's happened to it. Yep. And I'm willing to bet that's how he broke his leg. Yeah. Is that he jumped off the swing and hit the fence already. Oh, so this was like a battle of attrition for this kid where the parents kept erecting barriers to his own demise but they kept smashing through with his own body (laughs) like a human embodiment of goat simulator. Okay. Not only that, but like this is also a kid with like aeronautic uh aspirations where like a lot of his room is like space themed and like he said his brother said that he wouldn't fly and all that shit like mm-hmm. this could have played out another way where he attempted to actually safely glide down the mountain <laughs> with like a homemade hang glider or some shit depending on the imagination of the kid yeah. he was gonna die regardless <laughs> <laughs> This swing was just, like, there to kill, and it, it claimed blood that day. If Calvin of Calvin and Hobbes had this strip, it would have ended in a way sadder way than it already did. And probably about a year into its run. I love that this suggests that Calvin had, like, a fundamental misunderstanding of why astronauts wear helmets. <laughs> like, Think, oh man, they got it. They must have the helmet on so that when they fall, they don't just kill themselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh. Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's Calvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stupid. God. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if this... Because his death doesn't necessarily play into the larger narrative as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I and was not particularly, like, mechanically strong. Yeah, I think his is the weakest. Yeah, I agree. The second weakest, but I'll get into it. I'm probably just forgetting. Much, right much now. later. Like, okay. like, the only thing you can even construe as fantastical in this scene is, like, he actually managed to, to like, go, go, go 360 on a swing. I don't know how mad yeah it does kind of work as its own standalone little like art piece of a game Mm -hmm. like where it the poem matches up with like the visuals nicely i could have seen potentially that as like this just this segment is like a game jam game yeah that like got a bunch of attention and people fucking lost their shit over it Mm -hmm. but that's how good this game is that that is just included as part of this larger game (laughs) yeah uh, they cut out the parts where you had to get through the fences and then walk back to the right, swing. Yeah. And go <laughs> That's a very different game than what I was envisioning. Uh, anyway, so we, we're going to move on from here. Um, because the first time that there's like a genuine like puzzle in the game follows this next one, uh, which is Barbara. Uh, and Barbara was the movie star that has the... like. Oh god, what is it? Tales from the Crypt style yeah. like comic book thing? I was I've been waving my hand as if I was turning <laughs> windshield wipers <laughs> <laughs> this whole time just like trying to get somebody to say comic, I guess. I don't know. This is the one where they sort of this is the first time in the game where they sort of take the art style. And I think the, like the only time in the game where they take the art style in a completely different I mean, they just put, like, a Photoshop shader over the entire mm-hmm. thing, but... Posterize. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> it, still, it still looks really interesting, and I do want to at least call that out. Mm-hmm. And another, like, interesting little tidbit of her character is that she was a child star. Like, mm-hmm. she actually was, like, in a film as a child... Which is, like, one of the first details, like, I noticed uh, when we... I remember when we first played the game, that was the first door, like, peephole I looked through. Right. And I just thought that was, like, an interesting little detail. I don't know. That I, stuck in my mind. I, I do also want to mention that the game doesn't really go into a whole, whole lot of detail about the movie, which is appropriate because it's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. But it is, like, this weird, like, <laughs> Bigfoot is my best friend movie, mm-hmm. and it's it's really odd. It, like, I can't even imagine a movie that, one, has that premise, <laughs> and two, is popular among horror fans. Wait, wait. You've misunderstood something fundamentally here. This was not, like, a kitty Bigfoot is my friend film. This was it was like a horror film in which she was being stalked and attacked like by Bigfoot. pursued by Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, her whole thing was her scream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, but that can make sense even in the because nobody just immediately befriends Bigfoot. It takes <laughs> time, and uh, you have to build a relationship with a yeah, Yeti. I'm trying to remember because there is a poster or some kind of like a cardboard cutout thing right. in a room. And I do kind of want to say that it's like a cutesy poster yeah. of like her with the Bigfoot. Yeah, there's a cardboard standing, <laughs> and Bigfoot's got a big fucking smile lasted on his face. But that, that's because it's big the 40s. More like big smile. It's the 40s, and like transgressive imagery was just banned wholesale. <laughs> and you were only allowed to project happiness and tranquility in life because it was the middle of the Second World War, and right. you really couldn't afford. To, like, release anything. Well, there's the also a boom in, in horror movie production during that time. What an unusual piece of information that I have to know that you've stumbled upon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a lot of people theorize that it's because people wanted to go to a movie 
that displayed some of the worst things imaginable because it took them away from the reality. Which I could also see being an argument for the Bigfoot movie being like a, an actual horror movie mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, like a yeah. Dunstan checks in, <laughs> but Dunstan's eight feet tall <laughs> kind of situation. Well, regardless. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. And I do want to say it makes more sense for it to be a horror movie because <laughs> the whole setup in the comic is that it's like a horror convention that she's been invited to. Right. Um, but anyway, but despite the cutesy <laughs> cardboard cutout in her room. My key argument here is that you, no matter how good your scream was, I don't think it was possible to get famous for your scream if you scream like maybe one time. Because you're not going to have in the kids' version of the film like multiple Bigfoot comes around and I scream scenes. It's going right. to be like one that they like hurriedly rush past to get to like the cutesy Bigfoot child star interactions. Right. New theory. What if <laughs> I'm right? You're wrong. <laughs> And there's a scream. <laughs> Pack it in, boys. Uh, and there's a scream when she sees Bigfoot for the first time that is just imbo- the embodiment of pure blood curdling terror. And then at the end of the movie, Bigfoot gets shot by some guy. And then there's the second scream that really conveys a lot of like deep emotion. Oh, man. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho. So you, get, she's going to a horror convention, and her like straight up Fred from Scooby Doo boyfriend wants to uh, convince her to like practice up her screen. Yeah, because she's like a washed up child actor. Mm-hmm. At this age, she's she's like what like at seventeen or something in the comic. Her boyfriend is wearing a Letterman jacket, which suggests... She's, like, in high school. She's either in high school or her boyfriend is a tremendous douchebag. Right. Probably both. uh, Her death was in 1960, so I would say 20 is probably about as old as she could be. Okay. So... uh, But anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really necessarily feel like I need to summarize the entire plot, but basically the... Please don't, no. Yeah, that would be terrible. (laughs) The... uh, (laughs) The key mechanical difference in this one is that in addition to it mostly being like a cutscene because everything just gets played out by the comic, mm-hmm. uh, whenever you do have control, you actually have full control, which is kind of rare for the rest of the game and all in all places prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and you even get like a weapon and can swing it with a <laughs> button, which is uh, not, I guess, what you would expect normally. Yeah, it's novel in that it's the most basic of all inter- video game interactions possible, but it's in the context of a walking simulator. Exactly, yeah. So it's incredible. Uh, again, last last ambiguity in my mind about this scene. I know what happens at the end of the story in the Tales of the Crypt frame narrative, mm-hmm. in which like gang of ruffians end up being the people from the convention that come and like turn into nebulous flesh-eating creatures. What happened outside the frame narrative? How did she die not with fantasy magic? I'm thinking maybe her boyfriend killed her. That's possible. Or there's some kind of accident and he just left. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Slowly because of the crutches, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my guess, and this is purely a guess, and I, because I, they, they don't, they intentionally don't, like, give it, 
direct closure because they don't want to set up that like expectation, mm-hmm. I think. But the one part of the narrative that's like directly actually mirror well, two parts because one of them is the aforementioned one puzzle in the game <laughs> uh, about turning the crank on the music box. But the other thing that actually has a direct correlation in the house is the repaired guardrail. So I'm guessing that no killer fell off of the the balcony. I think she did and just died there. Oh. Uh, that's mm. my guess, but I, I could be wrong. There could have actually been a murderer on the loose. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was a victim of the Zodiac killer or something. <laughs> the time frame is about right. Because that kid was under the bed, and he was scarred for life and lived underneath the house for 30 years. That's that same person, right? That yeah, boy yeah. became the house liver. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the house liver. <laughs> Meta- metaphorically and literally. Yeah, I'd say uh, the one who lives in the house and also the one who processes toxins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, like, I assume that kid wouldn't... Like, it would mess you up to see your sister, like, fall off a second-floor balcony and, like, snap her spine and die. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it would, like, make you live under a house in a prepper situation, <laughs> scar you. Like, I feel like I'd get over that in, like, three years, even if I was, like, eight. But I don't know. Maybe I was just a hardy child full yeah. of well, well, I feel like we coldness. should backpedal and talk about that in a second when <laughs> we get to him. But uh, I think that th- this is probably my second favorite vignette. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was, like, the moment that I really, like, kind of fell in love with the game. Because the initial... Uh, sequence with Molly sets things up and kind of like primes you for what is to come next. But this is where like they really feels like they start pushing it mm-hmm. and they they switch up the visual style and they present and like this is nothing like super unique, but they present the visuals like a comic book. They actually like keep the panels up on screen and it really kind of feels like you're controlling a comic. It's done really well yeah. and. Weirdly, they licensed the Halloween theme. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask if that was public domain. I can't, no. No, they, they, they've made enough of those movies over the over the years that it has to be, like, it, like re, the copyright has to be re-upped on that. Yeah. There's no way they let that it, expire. It, it added to the pulpiness, though. Oh, uh, for sure. And, yeah, it's just a really well-executed scene. It's pretty tense. Like, you don't know what's going to happen once again don't know how supernatural it might get right um the, the, the panels even have non-aesthetic value you can actually use them as hints of where to go mm-hmm. as i did like two times when i wasn't sure which direction in the house i should be moving right you can just look at the next panel and be like oh i'm supposed to be at this bed okay yeah. <laughs> and also i wanted to push back on your claim that that's finding the music box key this way is a puzzle <laughs> when it's just shown, shown to you. To, yeah. And also, I think it's kind of bullshit that the game prevents you from sequence breaking. Oh, you because, tried this? Uh, just co- coincidentally, we when we played this the first time, like a year ago or whatever. Couldn't have been more than that. Um we super like meticulously explored the house because that's how we are. Yeah. And I remember winding the music box, you know, mm-hmm. and nothing ever happened. I don't like, and um, I tried it this most recent time yeah, as well. And it, it won't let you. let you. Like, I feel like we definitely would have found that key early. Right. Uh, if it, you know, unless if the game didn't stop you from getting it before you saw this sequence. Yeah. 
That's one of the only little nitpicks I have with this game, actually. <laughs> but anyway, not a big deal. No. I'd also like to call out the... Oh, I would also like to concede that, sure, it, it, sure, it might as well not be a puzzle. <laughs> I just think that there are probably other puzzles in games that are equally, like, just shown to you. Like, look I guess. at uh, the monkey dungeon in, was that, Twilight Princess? Yeah. Where it's just like, you have to get over here and you know what to do, and then the monkey does it anyway, and you're like... Yeah, okay. It's <laughs> not really supposed to be a puzzle. They're there just to kind of like give like a new player like a nudge as to where to go next. It's to show them a nice monkey, Chad. It's not to <laughs> Yeah, and also to you just them. have like a cute monkey. You're right. Either Finch, no monkey, zero out of ten. Uh, yep. But anyway. There was that one kid that jumped off of a swing and fell to his death. <laughs> Monkeys would do that. They would. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, the one thing that I did want to say on this before we move on is, uh, like, big shout-outs to the Crypt Keeper guy. Not for doing, like, a particularly great job of reading his lines and being a good actor, which I think he, you know, was, but not... It wasn't like, I wasn't destroyed by this performance. <laughs> it's just the fact that it was so consistently on that level that the Crypt Keeper is... It was, I don't know, I really enjoyed it as a, as like a concept throughout the whole thing. How do you describe the tone of the Crypt Keeper? Uh, inappropriately, morbidly humorous. It's kind of like, like a childlike excitement for like Halloween. Sure. Like there's a certain amount of like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like the description, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Adams family as okay, told by Gilbert so. Gottfried. <laughs> it's an impossible to not I paint. wish I could do a Gilbert Gottfried impersonation, <laughs> but I cannot. It's it's dark humor told by an impossible to not pay attention to voice. <laughs> uh, but anyway... You pop that key out of the music box after you get out of your little comic reverie. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you go down to the basement. Uh, the basement, I think, is probably the biggest, like, wasted potential as far as the game went. Because, like, you have this whole house and, like, it's all very special. But the basement is just not special at all. It's just sort of a one room and then, like, a little dark area in the garage. And then that's it. That's all you get. And then you go into the sub-basement. You go into Arsenal Gear. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, when did... Um... Metal Gear Solid 2? Yeah, no. Um, when did uh, Barbara die? What year? 1960. 1960. It's like, because they did keep it locked after that. When What's the brother's name? Uh, Walter. Well, once Walter moves down there, they keep it locked. So no one else can go down there, so that might explain it. Right. And also, I mean, when the rest of the house is so fantastical, you might just need some space <laughs> that's just, like, for efficiency and it's for like, storing uh, things. <laughs> I've had a rough day of whimsy. I need to get to something, like, Retired grounded. Yeah. <laughs> Below grounded. Before we lock up this basement, we got to make sure we take every book we own and strew it throughout the house at mm -hmm. random locations. Make a coffee table out of these and put the TV mm -hmm. on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. 
for each of these, I just this is a little meta commentary here. Mm-hmm. For each of these, as I have been going down the list, I've put their death year, their name, and then in case the name didn't do it for me, I also put in like a parenthetical reminder of what the primary premise of it was. <laughs> so we had Molly eating, but uh, Sam, Sam, which was wrong, Calvin, Calvin <laughs> the swing, uh, Barbara comic, and now we're on to Walter Peaches. <laughs> <laughs> I would have put bombshell there. Yeah. Uh, in respect, <laughs> anything but peaches. Now, peaches is fair, though. Yeah, peaches but... is the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> also, the worst vignette, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, probably. I still have one that I like less, but I'll, I will explain that more in depth when we get to if it. If your answer is going to be Milton... Mm-hmm. I push back on that. It is, but it's not because of the vignette itself. It's but because there isn't the, one. Hold on. No. We've got complaining to do okay. now, guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's not complaining yeah. to do in the future. And my complaint now is that this has this is a walking simulator that just wanted to be a movie. Like, there is, you pretty much don't move right. through the entirety. You move to leave, and everything else is a scene that plays at you. There's mm-hmm. not even, like, the barest minimum amount of input for the majority of it, the sequence. I kind of disagree with that. Well, I mean, that's a true statement. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think this is enhanced by being interactive because the repeating the action of actually opening the can of peaches each time, I kind of think, puts you in his shoes. However minor you might have felt you know that connection i think it's there mm-hmm. and it i think it puts you in the mindset of the character and it i don't think it would be as impactful if you just watched it or read about it or whatever yeah i i agree with that and, and uh, like i i we keep bringing up the idea of like our favorite least favorite vignettes I don't like. I didn't really give that any consideration while I was playing the game. Me neither. And Me neither. It, like thinking back on it now, this is probably on the lower end of it, which is fine. But also, as far as like this wanting to be a movie or even like some kind of like YouTube haiku or whatever, <laughs> this like what th- like this is, this bit like is this that one. A thing? What do you mean? Okay, we need to have an internet cultural intervention right, ne- right uh-huh. now. Okay. A YouTube haiku is not just a description of a short YouTube video. <laughs> it's a description of a short YouTube video with a certain tone. Okay, it, so it is a thing? Yes. Okay. It, it's my. It's like my favorite oh, subreddit. Yeah. It's like okay. one of the best things on the internet I'm gonna say, when it's good. If it isn't, that needs to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's already been taken care of. I'm saying the idea of just like... A guy in a shelter opens a can of peaches and then drinks them whole while talking about a monster could be a seven-second clip that I would go like, huh, that was weird. But the, <laughs> the fact that like this thing has... It doesn't have enough visually going on to even qualify it as, as like a, a, a moving picture tone piece. It's more of an essay that has a visual element attached to it. Like, the the dialogue... And, like, the words in this game, the written word plays uh, way more heavily than in the majority of other games. In this particular one, it's almost entirely about words. Like, it's it's just what he's thinking and, like, what he's, I guess, writing in a journal or something. Mm -hmm. So... 
I don't know. That, yeah. that that's really I don't I don't take issue with it. I still enjoyed the whole segment. Yeah. I just didn't uh I'd say also in this one's defense, um uh, like like I was saying uh, earlier about like these vignettes being placed in a sort of order that gives them like an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good like cool down after the comic book one, which is a really high point. Mm-hmm. And I really think that um as I was getting at earlier, like it does a lot to put you in the character's mindset. And um, I also like like being able to walk around the bunker, just the little bit that you get to, and you can walk over to the fake window and see the like the painting there. Fake yeah. window was good, yeah. Like there are like little details that you get to soak in because of the fact that it is a game. And um, I don't know. I think it it fits well where it is in the narrative. And I don't know. <laughs> it worked for me. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that it is overall good. However, it is, and we're gonna. So I'm. This is. I'm leading into a very long string of things. Yes. The first one is. This is the source of the only actual note that I took, as you can see here, mm-hmm. uh, which is has nothing to do with the vignette itself. It's just immediately after it. So at the end of this one, the way that Walter actually dies is that he leaves. And then gets hit by a train, which is like the end of a shaggy dog joke. Like, <laughs> he goes through this whole process of, like, overcoming his fears and deciding to break out of his routine. And then the most improbable scenario, a train runs him over. And it's foreshadowed, obviously, the rumbling and everything. Like, mm-hmm. it's the growling of a monster. It's a train. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then... It ends, and then you, as Edith, go, ah, now I know how to leave. And so you walk out the door, <laughs> and then the train tracks are there, mm-hmm. and then you walk a little bit, and then it's just a cliff. Like, it train tracks, like, rent in multiple angles, and then just cascades into the ocean. What the fuck happened between 2005 <laughs> and 2017 that the train tracks now just end at the shore? Well, it's like the train is, isn't useful anymore, so they don't use the track. Chad, like, so they like dismantle. There was probably a bridge. And, it, the, the track is and like they destroyed. Yes, yes. Well, they left the track there. This is this comes back like many things in life, Chad, to the, the deleterious effects of erosion. This is given environmental changes uh-huh. uh, and an, an, enough. Enough time. Uh, wind and water will combine to eventually cause the land itself to crumble into the sea, as happened with these tracks, which have, have been forced to enormous tiny pressures over dozens of years and have turned them into the terrible rusted mess that you see today. I'm no geologist. <laughs> I'll come right out and say well, it. All right. <laughs> And assuming there used to be a bridge that the train went over. That's the thing. It was a forest. Yeah, I don't know why you're so attached to this bridge theory. There's, because there's they're, a river. They live on an island. They're, if yeah. their train ran across the island, there need to be bridges. Maybe they need to get together the side of the island. We don't know how big but, this island oh, is. Also, it is ends it at confir- a cliff. Is it con- confirmed that they live on an island and not yes. just on the shore? It's, literally on ca- it's called Something Something Island. Okay, all right. Yeah. So I'm assuming that there was a bridge that, that came to that cliff uh-huh. and through the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And 
whatever reason, they didn't need the train anymore. Whatever they transported, not needed anymore. Yeah. Get rid of the bridge and the train. So they would to get rid of a bridge, you would demolish it. You would blow it up. Right, with like TNT. And that would explain the mango train tracks. And they never root up train tracks, so they don't have to because it That's takes true. a ton of labor. Yeah, they just they just allow them to turn into brown fields. Brown right, fields. Which is, there yeah. You go. I, I, don't make me include a <laughs> clip of you explaining brown fields <laughs> on the podcast. You're destroying. Me. <laughs> Uh, I will accept all of these explanations for the time being. Uh, listeners, if you have any theories on where the fuck the rest of the land went, <laughs> please explain. <laughs> Send us an email. If you uh, have perhaps any idea about what kind of hub of industry existed 30 years ago <laughs> that required someone to build train tracks to an island. Yeah. Yeah. Also, 12 years ago, because Walter died in 2005. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. It so- was a really short period of time. Oh, okay, that, that's... Oh, God, that changes everything. That's, you can't have that kind of erosion happening in 12 yeah. years. That's why it, I explosives. fucking told it the first time. <laughs> the explosives the now seem way more... Yeah. Uh, but as you exit the tunnel, uh, you get to the inexplicable uh, train track termination, on your left, you see the shoreline and the re- the rest of the Finch household. Mm-hmm. And I would say at this point, you're at about the second half of the game, which means that we're about to be at the second half of the podcast. So uh, we're going to take a break. So during the break, um, we're going to be playing a promo. A, uh, a podcast is starting up uh, by the name of Podcast Junkie. Who, uh, well, I mean, I'll let the dude explain it himself because we're going to play the promo. Uh <laughs> But we figured, why not? Let's go ahead and uh, give a little bit of exposure to the like eight people who listen to us. Uh, <laughs> because this man seems nice. Yeah, so if uh, advertisements are not your jam, and you were like, this is the one podcast <laughs> that didn't advertise shit. <laughs> it's about two and a half minutes long, so you can just like jump on over. But I, I recommend taking a listen. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, with, I believe, your mom. Meaning your character's mom. I'm not making a your mom joke. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> well, I was. Wasn't the kid with the kite next? He's your... Mom's brother. <laughs> 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 yeah. But uh, da, 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 da. Hey! <laughs> Do you remember hearing stories from your parents... Or grandparents about huddling around the old radio and listening to a radio drama? And now, Mystery Theater. Brought to you in part by True Value Hardware. Your store of first choice. Come in. Stories that not only could you see play out in your head. Stories of love, mystery, and murder. Stories that would bring families together, even if for just one night. But it would be discussed until the next chapter was released. Or how about when your parents used to put you to bed early enough so they could sit down and enjoy the nightly news? Good evening from CBS News. This is Newsbreak. 
Moments from now, President Reagan will speak to the nation and the Congress. The burden of the message, his health is much improved after the shooting a month ago, but the nation's economic health is not, and the country needs the economic program, which is the centerpiece of his administration. These news broadcasts were televised with big names from back in the day, and even big, bigger stories of war, economic struggle, or economic bliss, and the topics would affect us all. Then there were the boomboxes back on every shoulder and Walkmans in every pocket, with headphones on so we can enjoy and share our favorite music of the day. Then there was Netflix, the next evolution of human entertainment platforms, who created the new verb binge, where you could get lost for hours watching through a season of a show and then find a new show to binge on. And finally, that brings us to the next big evolution of audio in the history of man. What if I told you there was one platform that not only covered all the genres and topics that the past has enjoyed on so many different platforms, from the old-time audio dramas to the most breaking news of today's era, from history long forgotten, health tips from experts, in-depth dives into crimes and murders, from hobbies of all kinds like video games and technology, to interviews with the professional athletes that you watch, all these can be unlocked to you and for free in the world of podcasting. Podcasts are not your grandparents' radio or your parents' nightly news anchor. They are the evolution of audio and the evolution of entertainment in our day and age. Podcast Junkie will be here to help guide you on finding the perfect ones for you. Coming soon to all platforms. Podcast Junkie will be a bite-sized podcast ranging from 4 minutes to a max of 15, giving you a quick overview of why I personally enjoy podcasts, and even a sneak peek of an episode or a trailer for the show we're talking about that week. So stay tuned, and in the coming weeks, We'll hope you'll let Podcast Junkie be the TV guide, so to speak, or better yet, the podcast guide to your next obsession, Podcast Junkie. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, so where we left off is uh, right when you exit the like house proper and step out into the open air, I guess. The glorious sea with one of my favorite aesthetic touches of the entire overhouse, which is my word for the overworld in this game <laughs> because it's a house. Uh, but I, early on, was so obsessed with looking out the back windows of the house and seeing the wreckage in the distance, like the very appropriately placed red flashing bulb. Because right. if you remember early on, I still assumed that this was like a Kraken talking game. Yeah. So I thought that that would be like the se- like the location of the final Kraken confrontation. Of course. So when it came that quickly, I was like, oh, oh no, I don't know. I'm not prepared. I don't have any of my weapons yet. Yeah. This is <laughs> To weird. go back and get the crutch. <laughs> the slime creature hasn't come up at all again, even a single time. Um, but ended up still being cool, so I'm not sad about it. Yeah. I do think that this section, like this walking section, sort of has its own... It deserves to be talked about, and I think that what I want to discuss here is something that we haven't really mentioned yet, is that this game actually looks really good. Like, it's one of those things where, because your game is so hyper-focused on one thing, you have a lot of extra resources that you can devote to the other elements of the game. And clearly... Uh, the visuals and the sound design get a lot of love. Um, like, little details really stick out. And even if it's not, like, super finely detailed, like, it's not, like, the PT hallway where oh, all yeah. they had to do was have one hallway look really good. <laughs> they have this... Uh, it, it's an attention to detail and 
just an overall high fidelity of art where the the like walking out into this vista and seeing the house in the distance and hearing the ocean and seeing like the winding path up through the graveyard is just like awe-inspiring might be a little bit of a strong term but it is really powerful to actually walk out and see yeah it feels like the way that it seems like teachers always want you to feel when you go on school trips to impressive locations. <laughs> this game actually gives you the feeling of going to Niagara Falls and not the feeling of like going on it with like 500 children in a very structured environment right. to Niagara Falls. And I mean, like the Niagara Falls, there are 1 million gallons of water goes over the falls an hour and you're just trying to get Lucy's phone number the whole time. I uh-huh. feel like that's not a fair comparison. Like, <laughs> if you can go to Niagara Falls and not mm. be like impressed. <laughs> Uh, canonically jj not impressed by waterfalls i'm i'm impressed i'm just also deeply distracted and this is like i forget i think it might have been thoreau it was like it was one of like that style of person in the u.s in like the 1800s or whatever who said that like travel must only be done in solitude and that's what i'm trying to evoke here Mm. so that other people are distracting and take you out of the moment repeatedly so you lose focus uh, and that's why going on school trips to grand locations is bad. If okay. if the school could finance you going by yourself to Niagara Falls for like a powerful <laughs> spiritual experience, that would be dope. But they but can't do that. Could the school also like rent out the whole area so it isn't really touristy <laughs> and commercialized no. so that you could appreciate it? See, you're, you're finding all the barriers. <laughs> yeah. And this is why I'm saying that despite... If you could get the Niagara Falls experience when it was alone and you're like the initial explorer who has like stumbled upon this grandest wonder of the world, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's going to blow out of the water the experience of finding this cool house in a video game. Mm-hmm. But because it's actually compared against like the shitty commercialized just like deeply infected and rotting version of Niagara Falls against mm-hmm. like this pristine cool house, I think the cool house comes out ahead. Yes, fair enough. Niagara Falls. <laughs> Get dunked on. But anyways. Yeah, so you go past this gorgeous vista uh, that we just spent a minute talking about in comparison <laughs> to Niagara Falls for some reason. Uh, so you go past this and you go up the winding path toward the house and toward the graveyard. And um, so you go th- actually th- through the graveyard and you can see each of the, the gravestones, though the first area that you go through is like a pet cemetery. Um, this is not really ever expanded on. Uh, there's a reference to there being a gerbil in the game. Three. There are three gerbils, but only one of them has... Well, there's, no, there's even more than three gerbils. There's like, there's a handful of gerbils. Mm-hmm. Only one of them is ever like referenced in, like narrative in Molly's story, uh, and then like they reference the cat briefly that's named after Molly. Um, but that's that's a whole thing. They're like, I think the pet cemetery is real sad, but they give you no reason to feel sad about it other than dead animals are sad inherently i think it's just supposed to like be a detail that kind of makes flavor yeah feel more real like that they would have pets as well yeah so then you go through and you go visit each of the graves i don't have a ton to say about this but it's obviously supposed to be this sort of like poignant breather moment Mm -hmm. uh i just don't necessarily know that it it worked like maybe each of the the thought process was that each of the 
individual stories were a gut punch. And so they wanted to stop working the body for a moment and start working the mind. Uh, my read on it is it's you would expect this moment to be an emotional gut punch as well because you're walking through a graveyard. Uh, but it seems like they don't go with that approach. And instead, it's there to deliver the detail of grandma great grandma Edie's character where when they moved there they built the graveyard before they started building the house right and to kind of like flesh out that little bit of the backstory about how she's obsessed with the curse and memorializing everybody right and that's it yeah yeah it does give characterization to Edie who up until this point like she's sort of like the central character of the narrative Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, her characterization doesn't really come until pretty late in the game, and this is sort of where you get the most idea of... You see what she's done with the rooms, but it doesn't seem wholly unusual. Uh, Like, it seems strange and not something that most people would do, but it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that somebody would want to memorialize in that way, Mm -hmm. whereas the graveyard gives you an idea that she has an actual sort of, like, like you said, an obsession. Yeah, well, you get to go through her room earlier as well, after you go through Molly's, um, which also clues you into that as well. The house kind of consistently rests on a balance between, like, Hogwarts and, like, mental illness dungeon. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> so... Yeah. It, it, yeah, it, 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 this was one of the first scenes that really... I love how it presses both of those angles really hard and how the game really as a whole, as you kind of keep reinterpreting the grand gestures that you're seeing as evidence of a, as evidence of something amazing and wonderful at first and then a problem the more time you spend in the space. I agree with that completely. But beyond that, as you you know progress out of the graveyard, uh, you get back to the house. And so now you're coming up on the more recent generations uh, of the Finch family and... Uh, the people who were born sort of more in modern times, and the stories become more like, I, like this is kind of weird to think about because like they're no longer period pieces. So I feel like I relate more closely to the, like the more modern versions of these, um, and there's they're even less ambiguous really as they go on. Um, well, well, with the exception <laughs> of yeah, we'll get we'll get there. With the exception of Magic Brian, yeah. <laughs> It's magic, Ryan. Um, <laughs> he literally disappeared from on I top know. of a house. Whatever. <laughs> we'll get back. So the uh, the first of these that you come to is uh, Sam, who is the... I'll pull my list back out. But uh, Sam is the father of your... So your grandfather? Does that... Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Does, is that how familial relationships <laughs> work? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and his, like, it's interesting because his uh, actual vignette so switches your expectation b- based on his room aesthetically. Because you walk in, he has all this, like, military propaganda on the on the wall, and his entire vignette is about photography. Like, he's, and I guess he was, a, a like, a wartime photographer, and that was his job in the military. And you get that if you read into the... They're like literal documents and things that you can read as well as like just the stuff that's there. Um, 
I didn't really find this one particularly special, but it was a really cool interface mm-hmm. for it. I liked the focusing and everything. I, I like this one. Um, yeah, the gimmick is one of the better ones, I think. With t- like you control a camera, mm-hmm. uh, taking pictures of a hunting trip. But, like, I like that it shows, like, just kind of a normal experience as opposed to the other ones. And I think the fact that it involves Dawn mm-hmm. is kind of, like, the reason why. Because she was, like, the one who was wise to Edie's bullshit and uh, <laughs> always pushed back against it. And I feel like that's one of the reasons that his story doesn't have a fantastical version of it, which is I think is, I don't know, it fits. Yeah. And they leave sort of the, the door open for interpretation on like how much you really know about uh, like this character as a whole. Like, not you, the player, but your character as Edith. Um but because she does say that that her mom never told her this story, but she is aware that her grandfather died and sort of like how in like a vague sense. So seeing the more like explicit version of it gives you sort of this it, it it's the lends itself to being the most grounded of of the stories and the yeah, it's a, yeah, most grounded, I think entirely mm-hmm. for for the entire thing the uh i would give it to the swing thing because it seems like such an obvious invitation to death but it is literally not grounded so i'm gonna give it to uh yeah to to sam so sam had three kids and uh you go into their room by crawling through this weird little cubby hole and on the other side you get the three beds uh and the way that they're sort of like decked out and the room is set up you can like already kind of see where things went uh the first one you come to is gregory um i don't know what you guys think about this one but i'm incredibly impressed that they've managed to make a child drowning in the bathtub in a game, not feel like it was in bad taste or, like, shocking, really. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. It's very well executed. Um, And I think it does that in multiple ways. Like, once again, like, it sets it all up in advance. It's not, like, some kind of shocking twist or Mm -hmm. anything. Like, ah, we killed his baby. Aren't you shocked? (laughs) Or anything like that. Human centipede, too. You could have taken a page out of this book. Yeah, just, like, stomp the baby's head dumb fucking thing but um (laughs) and i distracted myself now (laughs) okay okay no very well set up and um it plays off of uh, a lot of like nick jr-esque kind of imagery of like the the whale and the frog and it all feels very like whimsical and inviting Mm -hmm. and the classical music that plays off of, like, people always say, like, play classical music for babies will make them smarter, blah, blah, blah. So it all feels, like, thematically appropriate. And it all adds to sort of the overall aesthetic mm-hmm. of it as well. Mm-hmm. Shows how much the parents are looking back at the circumstance and trying, like so many victims of tragedies are, to paint, like, the most positive possible light. Like, when they think back at the memory of their child, they don't think of the almost certainly horrific actual images of the death 
but instead like gaze on in wonderment about like what it must have been like to been this incredible baby yeah who they, who they never grew to knew well it's like uh because they they do it like um like an opera right like mm-hmm. it's the way that the music swells it, it 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 feels like you're watching like the nutcracker or something where it's like the synchronized uh movements of the toys like as they circle around and, and create these like Things where the frog will jump through and the splash comes up to the swells of the music and everything. Mm-hmm. And it is just this... They they put it in such a detached from reality way and they surround it with enough padding to keep it from jumping into shock value territory, which would be a really dangerous place to go with this. Yeah, and they, they set it up even like very explicitly like when you pick up the divorce papers like uh, it's stated that they are divorce papers right and you know you kind of you see where it's going like immediately Mm -hmm. but it still manages to be impactful so it's it's very well handled yeah it's probably maybe not like the best one of these that is developed it is probably the most like emotionally jarring like this is the one that i feel like you could play outside of the context of the game and get a similar feeling to it because gregory as in being an infant can't really be characterized mm-hmm. so you don't need the development for it it's just an interesting and unique way of showing the circumstance i actually disagree with you there uh, but we'll follow up on why i disagree when we get to weed bro's room okay yeah uh so we'll, we'll take strides to get uh, to Weed Bro's room uh, <laughs> by moving on to uh, Gus, who really embodies the name Gus <laughs> <laughs> by being a rebellious bastard, yeah. flying his kite in a storm like a suicidal Ben Franklin. <laughs> so a Ben Franklin. A regular Ben Franklin. Uh this one, I mean, obviously, like, uh, it sucks when a kid dies. This was the, like, most amusing one for me, like, as it was going on. Because, like, his personality comes out and he never says anything at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just in sort of his motions and his attitude. And at one point he, he gives the finger to his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that, like... I don't know, like, even, like, his portrait where he's, like, ten years old and has, like, a shitty mohawk and everything. Yeah. The, the game does a great job making you want this child to die and being, having a lot of <laughs> release after this child's end finally plays out before your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Doesn't he not even get struck by lightning? Yeah, no. He just gets crushed by the wedding tent. <laughs> yeah, the tent blows off and just, and just destroys him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it barely even makes sense. I guess if he get hit by the metal pole parts. Yeah, I mean, like a giant tent like that's probably got a lot of metal. Yeah, I, I assume. I guess there's also like the hurricane principle where yeah. like, you know, a, a blade of glass or whatever moving at an appropriate speed will eviscerate you or what have mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a combination of it being fast, heavy, and him being small and frail. Yeah. Most likely the cause of death. It's probably the small, childlike, malformed bones that had not fully developed yet that were really the killer there. Yeah, that seems likely. Uh, yeah, there's a lot... 
There's a lot of possibility space here, but most likely I'm going to say crushed to death. Um, yeah, after going through all of these, I, I'm going to say that this one is my least favorite. Ooh, that's harsh. I really like everything about this one. Uh, like, I like the... It is really satisfying to, like, fly the kite and, like, drag the letters, you mm-hmm. know, from the words around. But it doesn't really have much going for it other than that. I like the poem. I like the, the yeah. fact that there's, like, an actual rhythmic, like, metered story as opposed to, like, everything mm-hmm. else. Like, it is unique in its own yeah, way. Yeah, I guess I'll put this on the same level as The Swing in my okay. book. <laughs> Because they kind of have the same thing going for him. It's a poem with a visual that goes with it very well. Yeah. Um, but if that's all we have to say about Punk Gus. <laughs> uh... I do have like sort of a meta comment about the room that I missed out on earlier. Which is, I love the transition from military dad, who clearly tries to impress upon his children the need for like strict structure to fight back against this perceived curse mm-hmm. and then the next room that you enter is like this is a bedroom that's actually pretty much just a barracks yeah like, it's just three beds in a row with like a locker like can you imagine growing up with like your locker <laughs> across from you It'd be bad they they have a list of chores uh, on the mm-hmm. blackboard, and there's one that just says Gregory be a baby. This is good. <laughs> it also like kind of tracks, um, like from a like generational standpoint, also because like historically, whenever you will end up, you usually grow up to have like a stage where you rebel against your parents, and so obviously Gus has this association of his dad and like the strict rules, and so his way of going against that was by ignoring everything he says and growing a mohawk. Mm-hmm. So, like, it all, like, tr- it makes sense. Like, whereas I think that if the that element wasn't there and Sam wasn't as strict of a father as he was, I feel like Gus's inclusion would have been, like, a little bit weird <laughs> because of, like, the general aesthetic of every other character in the game. Yeah. But I think that everything plays out, and they, they clearly put a lot of thought into this. So yeah, now you're going to go back outside, you circle around the other side of the house, and uh, you climb up into the highest part of the uh, building where uh, your two brothers are, you know, there. Mm-hmm. So, so we get into true cat-dog territory. Yeah. <laughs> ultimate cat-dog. <laughs> uh, the sequel to Ultimate Chicken Horse. <laughs> but anyway. Sick reference. Uh, but, um... So the first one, these are probably the ones, well, I, I don't think there's really a whole lot to talk about with Milton, but we'll get into, I feel like this is where the most heated conversation is going to uh, occur, at least in these next two. So Milton, they make repeated references throughout the game to your brother vanishing. Like he, they say that, you know, he didn't die, he, was, he went missing. Mm-hmm. And his vignette is just a flip book. And you go through the flipbook, and I forget what the... The flipbook has a name, a title, but I forget what it is. Um, so is it, like, something about the paintbrush? He has, like, a magic paintbrush? The magic paintbrush, I think, is actually okay. the name of it. Something like that, anyway. Right. So, this character has vanished. You don't find him anywhere. They've never found a body. And then his vignette is is a flipbook of him painting a door and then disappearing. Fine. <laughs> Wait, I, after all this lead up, I thought you were about to present 
a theory, a game theory about well, about his eventual there's result. There's just uh, an answer, and I hate it. Uh, see. I like it, but only after knowing it. Like, I wish there was an explanation in the game. I wish it was not in the game. (laughs) I think I really dislike this for two reasons. Okay, I guess we should state it first. Yeah, because I don't actually know what you're talking about. Okay, so the developer, (laughs) Giant Sparrow, Sparrow made another game called The Unfinished Swan. I know about that. Okay, Mm -hmm. and... Basically, Milton is, like, the character in that game. Like, he actually disappeared into one of his pieces of art. Oh, what? It, thank you. It that, sucks. That, yeah, it totally sucks. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why? Uh, is, 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 in, in, without the context of this game, mm-hmm. is the unfinished swan presented in such a way that suggests what you're seeing on screen is metaphorical or not literal? I, I haven't played it. Uh, my understanding is that, is maybe on that one. <laughs> it's not, ne- I don't, as far as I know, the Unfinished Swan does not have, like, a definitive, like, canonical narrative. It's, like, more of a, it's, it's a really abstract game that, that consists of you, like, throwing globs of paint at objects to uncover them. Yeah, I know the mechanics. Right. Favorite, it was very famous for its mechanics. But it... in no way is it alluded to that your main character might be a missing Swedish boy. <laughs> like, that is not a thing that... <laughs> yeah, I guess... I like the concept of linking the projects. Like, I think that's like a... A appealing idea to a human who wants to make <laughs> connections between similar things, mm-hmm. um, but I now I do agree that it doesn't fit in this game because like you kind of go in thinking there might be something supernatural, but in the end there really isn't, mm-hmm. and this just fucking is. Super, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it might just be like I think you got to take what they said about it kind of with a grain of salt. Um, Maybe they. I, I feel like they probably didn't literally mean that. That's exactly what happened. Right. But it's like a like a Easter egg. Like all oh, this theoretically is a link between these games. Oh, so dumb wink, an, wink. It's so dumb as an Easter egg, though. Like it feels like there would be like a sequence where at the end of the Shawshank Redemption, they like set up a, a connection to like the first Alien movie or something. Like where there's just no tone continuity between the two works. That neither of them is actually improved by being connected to the other thing. Mm. Arguably, I think either. Finch loses something by the suggestion that like oh magic is real actually right. I think it loses something but at the same time if you don't know about it I think it's fine up until I found out about yeah. it I thought yeah. this was great I don't think it's supposed to actually be like a canon explanation yeah. my head canon is that he fell off the roof and was eaten by an alligator like <laughs> cause that would be to me yeah, the best possible the yeah they didn't find the body because he had already been eaten by a wild animal. Whatever happens to your mom's husband? My head, my like best guess when you guys were speculating before there, when I was like at my most hype of curiosity, was like, oh man, did her husband leave her and take the kids and she couldn't handle it or something like that? But what happens to Indian guy? Uh, why do I not I don't, remember his name? Do you, Sanjay. Do you? Get, yeah. I don't. Do you get an explanation? I don't think you do. They divorce. I don't. I don't know if it's if there's a, a reason given. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so either. Oh okay. well, which is weird considering that would be the person who the journal is for is just direct grandfather. So it seems like you yeah. would want to to pass that information along. 
but uh, but I, or there was an explanation. It just wasn't anything that was so that was like eye opening in a way that makes you remember it. They so. might have wanted to just keep it focused on like the immediate family mm-hmm. and decided not to flesh out that character at all. Don't forget yeah. about the little leaf people. On yeah, the tree and yeah, the them. people who don't get a drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's Milton. I honestly like. I really like the flip book. I like the concept of it. I like actually watching it. It was cute and fun and had uh, and was mysterious until it wasn't mysterious mm-hmm. and then I didn't like it anymore. Yeah, it almost kind of feels like it's an excuse mm-hmm. to like have one less actual vignette, like designed and programmed. It's right. like let's like link it to the other game and use that as an explanation. <laughs> Greedy dev, lazy dev. <laughs> Greedy dev, lazy dev. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. So now we're in Weed Bro's room. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to skip walking up the stairs. That part sucked. The cool part. <laughs> yeah, worst part of the game was trying to was was going partway up a flight of stairs and then going, oh man, now you turn around. <laughs> I like this game. What can I say? Uh, going back around the other side, you go into the room. Uh, so this is Lewis's room. Mm-hmm. And Lewis is your brother and... Presumably the character in this game that you were actually the closest with who was not your mom or Edie. Uh, now, the reason I said earlier that I think this specific vignette is the one that is most amenable to being taken out of context, my evidence of that is not just like personal argument, but I think it's descriptive. Most of the coverage about this game when it first came out was, was about this. Was about this sequence. And the reason is because it's a gut punch designed specifically for people who play a lot of video games. Mm-hmm. It's it's supposed to be a kind of alienated feeling that's really powerful to a lot of people in this day and age. Uh, I mean, it worked on me to a certain extent uh, and it it, it got a huge amount of press coverage and I think it was pretty deserving of that. I, it was probably my, my favorite vignette and I didn't expect it to be because when I heard the description, I thought it was, it sounded like the kind of thing that might be trying a little bit too hard, but they executed on it very well and I, I am very positive on the sequence. Yeah, it's something that not only just like appeals to people who play a lot of games, but like I think it it feels especially relevant to like our generation even, I think. Um, that the notion of, like, how, like, Lewis grew up in, like, this family with, like, all these, like, crazy stories, and right. he just works at, like, a cannery and feels like he, like, wants something more out of life, like he was promised something more. Right. Uh, yeah, L- Lewis... That's, they, like, very relatable. Yeah, they go out of their way sort of to, to tell you, even to the point of the narrator of his vignette being his psychiatrist... Uh, to basically tell you, like, there's nothing wrong with Lewis. Like, Lewis is, by for all intents and purposes, for the majority of his life, a normal, of average, everything type of guy. And through really no fault of his own, ends up being, like, more or less, like, a failure. Like, he's unable to, like, make any in ways in, the, in like, the job market... He is surrounded by people who don't, he feels like doesn't under, don't understand him. And because of that, this like whole thing that they've set up where he develops this, uh, like 
weird personality quirk where he has to envision a game to keep himself like occupied at work is it's what makes this tragic i think is is the fact that he basically is like deteriorated over the course of the thing so it's the whole the whole concept of his uh segment basically is that it is basically impossible and actually the reason why i disagree that this is the one that works the best out of context because if you played this out of context it would seem like the point is isn't it hard to focus on doing two things simultaneously but in the context of the game it's more of an exploration of the character yeah i i I think i think i kind of agree with that where if you played this out of context that you, I think that would put a greater focus on that, like mechanical, like pulling in two directions and right. being like, "Oh, he's gonna hurt himself because he's distracted." Mm. Is it clear at the end, by the way, whether what happened to Lewis was an accident or if it was intentional suicide? Oh, I think it's pretty clearly suicide to me. I, I would agree. I think it is too, but it does feel a little blurred because he's like. It what you're seeing or you're playing is he's purely in fantasy mode when it happens. Right. So it's hard to know if he was like one hundred percent in on killing himself. When yeah, he did because it. the last thing is you're being crowned like king of the goddamn universe, mm-hmm. and that's when you well and. I don't know, maybe this is a scale thing for me. My one nitpick is that I don't think that the fish guillotine is large enough to actually kill someone. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's large enough for you to put your head into. If it, okay, I would say if it's large enough to put your head into, it's probably large enough to kill you. It would not be a pretty or clean death, I can tell you that. No, no, it would not. No. I don't, the pneumatics, I, this is not the element that I wanted to focus on. <laughs> no, this is, rightfully so, this is not the element anyone focused on. Breaking new ground, no clip podcast, <laughs> fish guillotine discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's very clear that he killed himself for, for a bunch of reasons. First, it's why the psychologist in the letter that you're... Yes, sorry. That's why the psychiatrist in the letter that you're reading is discussing the incident in a way that suggests that she's taking responsibility for what happened. Right. Uh, it, it Because she feels like this was an outcome that she failed to prevent, which implies intent. Like, there was no way she could have pre- prevented a work accident. Right. But she could have prevent, present, prevented a man from sticking his head in a guillotine because he thought that his personal body no longer had meaning to who he truly was right. and that only his free existent mind is the truly thing that could have ever existed. Like mm-hmm. he developed a psychosis and the psychosis led him to believe that he literally didn't need his body to live. Uh, he was wrong as even the vignette proves because yeah. it ends pretty abruptly at that point. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that is the illness that progressed in this in this alienated guy and actually you said earlier that like that you suggest that it wasn't through any fault of his own that he got disenfranchised i disagree i think there are details in the room that point to him having some kind of psychological issue long before the fantasy begins to take control Mm -hmm. he's a lot of the tapes and like books and shit in his room 
they're conspiracy theories. They're like crazy person stuff. And we all know people who are on weed, they're terrible people that yeah, really are on all... weed. <laughs> they're, they're hooked on weed. That's what yeah, it is. Hooked, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's sticky icky. <laughs> they're, they're really just the scum of society. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I feel like the image that's being painted is that there's always been something with this kid, even from his youngest days, that alienated him in one way or the other. It made it harder for him to relate to the people around him. He was always treated, even like in high school, by members of his family as someone to avoid as a problem. And in his isolation, that problem festered into a psychosis that cost him his own life. Do you know how old he was when he died? Not precisely, but... I know that he dies in 2010. I didn't take a birth date down. I feel like he's in his 20s. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, I was kind of under the impression he was right out of high school, and I thought a lot of the reason that he was... That we, they told people to avoid him was because he picked up a lot of the old weed smoking. Um, well, that too. Because but... I didn't notice at like the 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 books, mm-hmm. right? Like the things that you notice when you go in directly are your, you know, the we need to get across to people that this guy smokes weed. <laughs> He's got like a bowl on his shelf and like tie-dye shit on the walls okay. and i'm pretty sure he has like a poster that just says legalize marijuana <laughs> which is the most like weirdly specific <laughs> he was 22 oh he was 22 and he died so that gives him a little bit more time but yeah i did not know like to me the conspiracy theory thing is sort of like uh if that's the key to it that's the only one they put there because i didn't notice that but i didn't like other than that he just seemed like the like slacker stoner guy he had the psychiatrist before the he started doing these crazy visualizations sure it happened in that order which implies that there was a problem beforehand yeah i think it's also implied that uh his mom got him the job like to give him like a like a normal like sense of like belonging like you you can contribute to society by doing this job i got you yeah it's implying that there was like something preventing yeah Yeah. some pre-existing issue but i I do kind of agree that there isn't a lot to uh go on there yeah or at least to i didn't pick up on too much right i feel like if you look at it either from the like mental illness angle or just the like on way gone wild like way of 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 looking at it where he was just so fucking like did not care about anything for so long that he just developed a psychosis like a like it wasn't something that was pre-existing it was something that was developed i think either way the primary, like, the elements of his vignette that succeed still succeed in, in either... Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, in either it's reading. The isolation and the, like, specific, like, capitalist environment alienation that makes the psychosis worse, and that's true in both halves of the narrative. Right. And it's equally sad both times. And it's the monotony as well, like, is, is part of it, and that's why it's so difficult to sort of, like, focus on the fish when it comes yeah. through. Uh, the fish becomes annoying, which is like so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I don't know if it, like how like interesting it would be to like actually describe the mechanics, um, but I do want to give a shout out to them because I feel like the way this is executed, even if you got rid of all the story, this would still be interesting to play. 
Because, like, the way it works is that the fish comes in on from the left, and you have to, like, grab it with the right hand, put it under a guillotine, and throw the the body of the fish onto a conveyor belt or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and then it gradually creeps in, like, this daydream that you have to control... Um, on the other with the other on the other uh, stick, and you like it progresses from like navigating a maze to like having to like make simple choices to like this path or that path, and the visuals change and like the amount of space on the screen it takes up like expands slowly as well, and it's and it just keeps going further than you expect to the point right. where it's like a full 3D thing that's taking up the whole screen and the fish just kind of like plops plops in <laughs> yeah uh, and it's just like there's a reason why this is what everybody talks about about the game it's just so well done yeah, I have a particular affinity for the like couple of times where the fish shows up, like as an in in-game the fantasy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, like it's barring like barring door. the door, and then the you chops it, and it busts. Yeah, so good. Fish Buster was the original <laughs> name. It was what remains of Fish Buster two thousand. <laughs> it gave me those specific sequences where the fish was incorporated as like a physical object and mm-hmm. not just as a motif. Really reminded me very strongly of being a kid and doing the like mental guardrail surfing thing in the back of a car. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. We've talked about this before. Oh, good. Um, (laughs) If you don't know exactly what we're talking about immediately, you probably didn't do this. Yeah, it's fair. I Uh, was actually lab-grown and and came into existence (laughs) at age 19. It's like when you were a kid, you were riding in a car, like, down the highway, and you're, like, looking out the window, and you're, like, imagining yourself, like, grinding on it with, like, a skateboard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What? This is universal enough that we both did it without we ever met each other. Or, like, you have, like, a really long sword, and, like, you're cutting down all the trees. Yeah, yeah, that works still yeah yes something about like the motion of the car like it kind of gives you this feeling of like sliding across it like it's a mental thing this is where the sonic the hedgehog rail segments like came from because i never actually played a 3d sonic game until i was like close to an adult yeah so it it absolutely worked in that direction there was an innate rail grinding (laughs) part of the human brain that we all tap into at some point. Uh, but yeah, this is a thing that other people do as well. Sure. I There's mean, probably like, a subreddit. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with the concept of, like, grinding. No. Uh, <laughs> what is this grind? This is grind. No. Uh, I'm familiar with the concept of, like, you know, get, like putting not real wrappings over real things in order to like Are you describing imagination in the most obtuse way possible? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. Uh like as just a thing that kids do. Because I well, I don't want to say imagination by itself because like as an adult I feel like I still have an imagination and, and am yeah. capable of like thinking about things that don't exist. But what's important is the connection to real-world objects. Right, that yeah. I think that is particularly... like. But I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just yeah. like... Didn't, like, in the car, most yeah. of the time, this was not what I was doing. The best way I can describe it is it kind of, like, evokes this feeling. It's purely in your head, though, which makes it hard to explain, <laughs> of, like, walking and, like, just running your hand on the wall or okay. something. Like, it kind of gives you this feeling of, like, sliding across something. Yeah. All right. 
It's like grinding on a. Wall. Yeah, it's like grinding. <laughs> it's, like grinding. <laughs> it's grinding on a sick rail. <laughs> Next time we're gonna be talking about Tony Hawk's Pro Skating. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I got you guys. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's all of them. Those are the vignettes. Uh, the they last, really end on a high note. Yeah. They really do because the last section of this game is is basically your vignette, um, which is more of a flashback than anything else. Uh, because the last thing you see is this dinner sequence between uh, you, your mom, and Edie, and she's being apparently uncharacteristically silent. You go through this whole thing, and basically she says that she's not leaving. It's alluded to earlier. There's like a hurricane, and she was like, "Fuck you! I'm not. I'm not going." And this is like right after Lewis died as mm-hmm. well. And then you go through. You do have this one sequence where you walk toward the old house as Edie. Yeah, um, Edie has left a like journal or storybook or whatever for young Edie, who mm-hmm. you played as. Um, and you're dismissed from the table, and you go through yet another secret passage into a secret library um, <laughs> and find the book, and you start reading it. Right. And that's where you play the sequence where there was an earthquake right. that made the tide go way, way out, so you can walk over to the cool red light blinky house. Right. Uh, and, yeah, and so you walk there, but before you ever get there... Your mom interrupts it. They pack you into a car and you leave. And that's sort of where the game leaves off. It says, Edie didn't want to tell everybody this story. Or my mom didn't want anyone to tell me this these stories because this is what is perpetuating the curse. Yeah. And then that's sort of what it ends on. And you know that Edith herself died before any of this like ever happened. Like any of the things that uh, you'd be reading. So... Mom didn't want you to know about the Kraken. Mom didn't want you to know about the Kraken. (laughs) Secret Kraken. Yeah. So hopefully he doesn't go to the house because obviously he'll be in with the Kraken. (laughs) Thank you for listening to No Clippers. (laughs) How how many times can I do that joke? A billion. One million times. It's just going to become like a normal part of the episode. Yeah, the false ending. Yes. Uh, So you start out the game as Edith's son reading the journal right then it cuts to you as edith going to the house to write the journal yeah you play through all of that figuring out all the depths writing them in uh-huh. filling out the family tree then cut to a flashback uh-huh. of edith's childhood <laughs> then cut back to where we were in the house as edith or she goes up to write her own journal entry in her bed then cut to the birth scene then cut to her son showing up to the house to her grave. Right. It's lots of layers. Yeah. It, uh, it's confusing. If you, like, you really have to go back through and think about. If you laid out the game's <laughs> timeline on like a linear scale and then drew connections between them, you would end up with like uh, Beethoven's Fifth or something. <laughs> like scribbled out. It's <laughs> a secret code. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's actually uh, Zelda's lullaby backwards. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's what, yeah. If, you, if you twist it 90 degrees, it forms one of those, like, string finger game Eiffel Towers that they uh, make. Yeah. But those things have, doesn't that game have a name? I, I assume it's, it's one of the things it, that's finally really died with the internet. I said, oh, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. That was a lot. You can, like, or something, you can take, like, strings and, like, between your fingers and oh, use them in a certain okay. way. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you look at them at a certain angle, it looks like stuff. This yeah, is, it's, like, the less popular version of marbles. Like, it's, it's like, below marbles on the old person entertainment it's like, scale. Yeah, it's, like, not really a game. It's just kind of, like, a trick you can do. <laughs> okay. It's a way to, to trick your brain into believing that yes. you're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> The tangents never end. Uh, So I think we should go into final thoughts here. And go ahead. Hey! Uh, Very smooth. Uh, Short, powerful, kind of surprisingly so. uh, Probably the most polished walking simulator I've ever played. Yeah. uh, In terms of the amount of detail put into pretty much every individual interaction and every feature of the environment. Um, I would probably use this as the game that I would show off to people to convince them that walking simulators are good and worth their time for a bunch of different reasons. Um, So yeah, can't complain. Uh, As I alluded to at the very start of this whole terrible podcasting ordeal, uh, I feel like the end message isn't, it's, it's a game about life, and life has no clear starts and stops, and there's no end to the journey of a family tree. And so the <laughs> game doesn't really try to do that, uh, and it breaks some of your expectations about what you want from a, a, a tightly written narrative. But I think it's mostly still to the game's favor. Like, you know, like, like B+, plus, 89 out of 100 IGN, <laughs> replayability value pretty low. They get those achievements. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, I agree with a lot of that. Um, Andy and I are, are, are a particular breed in that we both enjoy walking simulators as a thing. And this ends up being, like, probably actually my favorite one. Um, there are some other games that are in close contention um, that I'm sure that if, if we sat down, we could name a few and they would all be correct. Uh, but... For the most part, I, I think that this is also a game that fan, non-walking simulator fans could play and also enjoy, and I think it's probably kind of what they were going for. But the other thing is, uh, we had a conversation like a couple of weeks ago about the fucked up shit that we read when we were kids, like that was that we were made to read as part of a school curriculum. Mm. Uh, talking about like where the red fern grows and what something oh hold on the scarlet ibis no no what was it flowers for algernon flowers for algernon and that kind of thing so uh and this feels almost like sort of the video game version of that and yet this it seems to have more of a redemption than those books did the ones that you were forced to read when you were 12 years old to basically teach you about <laughs> life and death this game i think does a better job of it because it shows the horrible death of a dozen people and at the end of it you feel sort of like you want to live life for life 
And I think that's kind of what they were going for, and that's the the strength of its narrative. Yeah, uh, I'm going to echo a lot of what you guys said. Um, I agree 100%. This feels like the most polished um, walking simulator I've ever played. And I think a lot of that goes back to what I got at earlier, where walking simulators are a genre that's mostly, if not all, produced by indie studios. And this really doesn't feel like an indie effort. It really feels like it has that extra, like, level of care and thought and you know uh, production value um and it, it puts it up there i think as the best walking simulator um it's like in that league with vanishing of ethan carter and like gone home in in my book yeah um and i think part of that is because also like i was saying earlier like a lot of these games like to put in puzzles or gamier elements or like they feel like they need to like have more substantial like gameplay air quotes um but this game does like the i think ideal spin on that where it has these vignettes as we've called them these little set pieces but they all are in service of the narrative that's happening they don't get in way the way of the pacing this game is like three hours tops probably closer to two right uh depending on how thoroughly you look at everything uh it yeah it just nails that pacing and it never gets never has any lulls it yeah it's just very well executed we went a ton longer on this than i thought we were going to so thank you for listening to all of no clip this week what are we talking about next time i cannot fucking believe i'm actually saying it <laughs> but next time we're going to be talking about persona 5 it has come they so we've already put a collective multiple work weeks into <laughs> playing this game and uh th- that will all come to fruition next time that we speak in early december uh until that time, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, all of our contact information is on NoClipPodcast.com and the newly renewed Splattershot.pro. <laughs> we got it for one more year, boys. <laughs> Nintendo, come take it from me. <laughs> I will take almost any payment for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Don't even cast that check. Just put it on the wall. If you oh, can yeah. force Nintendo to give you money for anything, oh, oh yeah. man. <laughs> They have, like, a Mario checkbook. It's, like, a nice little novelty Mario check. And to convince people not to cash them. Yeah. Uh, it's been signed by Miyamoto himself. Uh, on this, uh, that wonderful website, you can find all of our old episodes, uh, links to our Twitter, YouTube. If you're, like, a YouTube podcast guy, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> Uh, that's what I, that's what I got. Thanks. Thanks for everybody for listening. Good job, weirdos. (laughs) I got nothing. Good. We're good. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes and, uh, smash that like button. Smash the old like button. We've got like glue and shit and tape that we keep with us to keep putting that like button back together. (laughs) So don't worry. Just don't no, worry about smashing it. No resource cost to us. <laughs> smashing that like button. Just like Walter, you can smash that with the sledgehammer. <laughs> Who's Walter? 
He's the the one the who lived in the guy. basement. Oh, oh, the oh, the name. Of the, I thought there was just a like a like a smash Walter. Walter the Hammer Man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like I, you've got my mind in like a '40s era toy space. Okay. So I thought like, oh, here's Stretch Armstrong. Now try it. Smash, smash Walter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually love that. Stretch Armstrong is the name, and it describes what he does. Smash Walter. Like he smashes a wall, so he's Smash Walter. Smash Walter. Just a lead figurine. <laughs> it's a figurine that has like a spring loaded. <laughs> you know, Flash Gordon. Smash Walter. Smash Walter. Stretch Armstrong. Gumpy. Really strangely aggressive for children's programming of that era. Just kind of Kool-Aid man his way into all these situations. Uh, Grin on his face, uh, blood on his teeth. 